Seven signs you're in a stage of burnout. You've discovered that somehow in your life you've become exceedingly critical. You're snapping at this and that, and you see everything that's wrong with everyone and everything. You're disgruntled. Nothing makes you happy anymore. There's always a reason why you can sit back and just pick, and you want to run away. You want to just clear everything off the desk and walk out the door and say enough. You mess up normally to you easy tasks, and it's frustrating. You're always tired, and you're always doubting yourself. That sound like you right now? On the edge of burnout? On the edge of saying enough? As we study Paul's philosophy of ministry, it is not the, the question of what. We know what Paul's what is. Paul is preaching the gospel and visiting churches and writing letters to these churches to help them grow into the saints of God mature disciples in Christ, that he might, as it were, pass them along to Jesus for the glory of God and the good of these people. We know what the what is and we know what the why is for the glory of God. But what keeps Paul from burning out is the right balance in all of these things. And today, Paul's going to reveal to us, again, the, the how to the what. We know what he's doing. But today, Paul lays out how he does it. And it's a good idea for us to define very clearly how, not what we'll do with our kids, but how we're going to do it. The temperatures and the moods in the home, or in the office, or in the Sunday school, or on a Sunday morning as we're gathered together. How about when we gather and do ministry? How do we do it? You're on the edge of burnout. The question is, I mean, what kept Paul from losing heart? Just shaking his head and walking away and burning out. Well, as we've seen in the last few chapters, Paul's responding to some accusations railed against him by some people at the church at Corinth. Well, his defense against these accusations continues here in chapter 4, and I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And here this argument, this response to these critiques continues, where he puts forth an argument against these accusations that people are throwing at him, questioning his motives. You know, why does Paul do what he does? And the response that Paul gives to these accusations shuts them down one by one. So Paul lays out a definition of the foundation of his ministry and is going to demonstrate just how absurd these accusations are. So take a look with me, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. And in our study today, we're going to discover that success in ministry is not only defined by what we do, but how we do it. An important element, friends, that we have got to hold on to. It's not just what you do that makes your ministry 
effective, but how you do it. Paul's defense begins by reviewing the methods of his ministry. Again, the question is how. We know the what Paul did, but how did he do it? And take a look here in verses 1 and 2, where again Paul lays out the method of his ministry. We notice first, one of the methods of his ministry is depending on the mercy of God. Not on the gullibility of people or the maneuverability of people, but the mercy of God. He says here in verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. That word, that expression, losing heart, is the very feeling of burnout, where we just walk away and we say, forget it. Paul reminds himself daily whose this ministry truly is and what has enabled him to be a part of it. The mercy of God, my friends. But I notice, see, he continues here. And he talks about uh, he's not only depending on the mercy of God, but he's rejecting manipulation. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. Just reading that, just for a moment, does it not say that is exactly what people are doing today? It is all about manipulation you know, you are poor, you're in need, you're in hurting. You know what the answer is? Give money to God. And when you give money to God, God will give you exactly what you want. It's as if he is some divine vending machine. And he just simply waits for you to tell him what's best for you. My friends, God is not a vending machine. God is a loving, heavenly, holy Father who cares about you in ways that you couldn't possibly imagine. And when things spring up in our life, things that we wish would have never happened, or like that guy I was telling you about, that kid in the Iwana program, <laughs> why couldn't this happen to somebody else, you know? I mean, life, it, it springs on you sometimes. And God does these things and allows them in because He has a perfect plan that one day you will rejoice in when you can see it the way he sees it. And that will be a day, my friends. So Paul, he refused to be underhanded and manipulative. To re he refused to practice cunning or tamper with God's Word. Hey, let's just focus on the good stuff, you know? <laughs> I once uh, heard a pastor, I'll, I'll never forget, some crazy things you hear out of pastor's mouth. He says, if you really want to be happy... Go get a case of beer. You know, go run off and uh, go on vacation. Leave all your obligations behind. Well, he was kidding. Because everyone know how ridiculous and short-sighted an action like that would be. Happiness is not the goal, my friends. Holiness is the goal. Holiness. Being transformed from the inside out to reflect the character of Christ. So that when people meet you, they know a little bit more about Jesus. So Paul, he says, in my ministry, I've got some standards. And I refuse to do something to manipulate the people I'm ministering to. 
I will not shade part of the verse off because I like the way it begins, but not so much the way it ends. So we live in a world today, friends, you've got to be careful to read the context because people will sell you a bill of goods using the Bible to do it, and it's nonsense. So laying out this method of ministry, depending on the mercy of God, rejecting manipulation. And notice here, continuing in verse 2, opening himself up for scrutiny. He says, verse 2, we have renounced disgraceful underhanding ways. We have refused to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Go ahead and take a deeper look. Paul was confident in his ministry, never had to look over his shoulder or try and remember what was said because he always operated on the basis of integrity. You know, we have a, uh, uh, this, this whole politics thing going on with the debates and all of the, the nonsense, and people will simply tell you what you want to know. And the younger people don't quite get it yet, it seems. Also, older people who have been around, we know that they're just blowing smoke in our face, you know, showing us the toys and not the cost, you know. It's, it's crazy stuff. You know, we, we have these administrations that tell us they're going to be the most transparent administration that's ever been. Well, it's a nice thing to hear, but it's an even nicer thing to see. Paul said, take a look. Go ahead, search my motives if you will, but take a good look at everything that's going on in my ministry. You will never find me only showing you half a paragraph of Scripture, Paul would say. It's always in the context. No manipulative Scriptures in here telling you that God is just happy and He wants to make you rich. And the reason you're not rich today is because you don't trust Him enough. As if the problem is always you. As if God couldn't have a better plan that says, no, we're going to save your riches till later when they really count. It's a terrible thing, my friends. But Paul laying out his defense, reviewing the methods of his ministry. But Paul's defense continues as he reminds the church of the message that he preached in ministry. Go ahead, take a look. What have I taught you in the past? Have I ever used things to make you feel guilty in order to get you to do what I want you to do? Paul says, look at my message. It was a message that targets the lost here in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, and you remember that from chapter 3, talking about the veiling over Israel, started with a conversation about Moses in that glory that was fading, having been in the presence of God. So he put a veil over it. And Paul transitioned that veil into blindness of those who could not see the truth. And so here in verse 3, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Those who will not see the truth. There are none so blind as those who will not see, my friends. Those who will hear your arguments and your testimonies. And they will turn their head and walk away. And there is nothing that you can tell them that will cause them to believe. Because it is up to the Spirit of God to change their hearts. Paul continues verse 4 and says, what is this veil? 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. It is a work of the evil one to put on those dark sunglasses, prohibiting people to be able to see the truth. And so there's a couple of things going on. We've got a sin nature that just craves selfishness and, and, and excessiveness of everything. That we are never satisfied. We always cry for more. So we got the flesh as an issue. I don't want Jesus. I want more. And then there's the evil one who does everything to keep people in the dark. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. And so Paul's message was to go out to the lost. But many of the lost had those veils over their eyes, blinded by the evil one. And here, Paul, this message that always targets the lost, not the wallet. And we know, just turn on your TV. It's on 24-7. You get down to those channels, and there are those guys with the big watches and the fat ties and the big wallets. And they're only talking about how you can get more money into yours. But strangely enough, it has to go through theirs to get to yours. It's a crazy thing, my friends. So looking at this message, the message that he preached in his ministry was always targeting the lost. A message distinct from the messenger. Look at verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. I remember hearing a joke about uh, this church at the end of a long ministry of this pastor. You know, they had a big to-do over it. And at the end, they presented a book of his life. It recorded all of the events of his life. And he said, how in the world did you know that? From all those personal pastor illustrations that you gave to us, you know? Those pastors who talk about themselves. Well, let me tell you about me. And Paul says, my message is disconnected from me, not because I'm not living it, but it doesn't originate from me. It is not about me, but it certainly passes through me. For what we proclaim, verse 5, is not ourselves. Talking about the how Paul did ministry. And notice here, as we continue in verse 5, it was a message focused on the deity of Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Isn't that great that he could sum up what he preached in just those few words? You know, everything he preached from the old to the revealing new always centered on Christ. It's a great way to test a preacher. How much are they really talking about Jesus and what are they saying about him? I'll tell you, friends, Paul made it clear how he did his ministry, focused on one thing, and the one thing is Jesus. So, what we proclaim, it's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. With our, and, and remember, notice here, the, the three elements here. Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God. Christ, which means he's the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one who was prophesied throughout the Old Testament, and we present him to you as Lord. And I believe, friends, that that is pointing to his deity, that he is Yahweh, that he is the creator, that that all things were created through him, by him, and for him, for his glory. 
for the glory of God, pointing out his identity, the prophecy, and his ultimate identity as God. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. So Paul never made more of himself than God made of him. Paul always saw himself in light of what the Scriptures said about him. Paul would certainly, he was the least of all of the apostles. He was certainly not the the best and the brightest, but he saw himself as a sinner. And as a sinner, he reached out for the grace of God. And the God who is merciful used him for this great ministry. It's a great story, my friends. It is a great story. And so this message that he preached, targeting the lost, 3 and 4, a message that was distinct from the messenger, verse 5, a message focused on the deity of Jesus, the Messiah. And then finally here in verse 6, a message of glory. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts this glory shining in us. But notice how he finishes it. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is a glory that shines in us first, that it might shine through us secondly. A message of glory. Paul making it clear. You want to know how I do it? I stick to what matters. I don't get distracted. It's an ironic thing that Paul never got distracted by other things to talk about. Warning not to get distracted by common conversations and arguments and debates, but stick to the gospel. And yet Paul is the king of rabbit trails. (laughs) But every one of those rabbit trails had something to do with Jesus, and we are blessed because of it. Well, Paul... Laying out, reviewing his method of ministry, continuing by reminding the church of the message that he preached in ministry. And I notice here in verse 7, Paul's defense is furthered as he lays out the manner of his ministry. The manner of his ministry. Verse 7, he lived out this ministry enduring frailty. Paul reminded them, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That'd be a great name for a band, I think. (laughs) He says, uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay. They're not beautiful pottery, friends. We, We have these vessels to carry this truth and this life, sensitive, frailty. So we have these, this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Boy, let's read that one again. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And Paul reminds them of that which he has suffered for the sake of this ministry. He says, verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is such an unusual thing that Paul had such clarity 
that it was okay in his world to go through all of this suffering because it was clear in his mind why he did it. It was for the glory of God, for the purposes of God. It was one of the things that helped me through that whole medical tragedy coming up here about seven years ago. My craniversary is, com- is coming up here where I celebrate the surgery on my head. But that's one of those focuses we all have to have. We have to have every day whatever it is we go through. We go through it for the glory of God to accomplish the purposes of God. It's the only thing that makes anything worthwhile. I mean, otherwise, why are you living for? A little bit more, a little bit different, a little bit less of this or that or the other thing? Friends, if God is not your motivation for all of these things, you're going to burn out. Paul kept it clear in his head why he went through what he went through. This enduring frailty. Yeah, they can chase me, they can stone me, they can whip me, they can beat me but it's all going to be worth it because Jesus is going to use it. And how did he further this defense? He lays out the manner of his ministry, enduring frailty but focusing on the outcome. Focusing on the outcome. Look at verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Wow, for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so that people can see the grace of God in our life, so they can watch how we suffer differently, so they can see how we can endure even the most difficult things and be drawn to Him. I know, friends, that's a whole lot easier to say than do it. But friends, if we don't say it, we'll never do it. If we don't lock it in our hearts and our minds as intentional, you know, friends, when the wind picks up and the garbage can is blowing down the street and it it has found a skid and it's laying on the wheels and down it goes and you're in a hurry and you're chasing that thing down, I guarantee your neighbors are watching. What does a Christian do when his garbage can is blown away? They will, will only know the answer by watching you. Even most ridiculous, simple things as this all give Jesus an opportunity to shine through you. Whatever it is, my friends, whatever it is, give Christ an opportunity to shine through you by choosing to go through it for him. Paul's defense, this is ridiculous. Really? If this was all about me, you think I'd go through all this nonsense? Batten down their accusations, questioning his motives. Take a look at the way that I suffer and endure these things for Jesus' sake, and you'll know what my motives are. Look at that, verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul saw clearly that God's plan was to build up this church through Paul. I mean, it was certainly the Spirit of God's work using Paul's ministry. But Paul saw it. If I have to suffer for your life, if I have to die in order for you to live, I'll do it. And friends, that's the character of Christ. Because remember, Christ died for us that we might live.
He died that we might live. Certainly somewhere, our ministries and our lives ought to reflect that. Well, Paul's defense here is concluded as he reveals his motivation for ministry. Why does he do it? We know the how. Paul reminds us once again the why. And motivation is everything. Reminds me of a, <laughs> a story I met of it. Just a, you know what? Everybody's been there. The alarm goes off, and every morning you spring out of bed except this one. And everything inside you is crying out, stay in bed. And this one particular person yelled out to God, God, give me one reason why to get up and go to work and work with those people and work with the same stuff over and over again. A voice from heaven came down and said, you're poor. (laughs) Friends, sometimes we need motivation. Sometimes doing the right thing doesn't get us there. The right thing ought to be all that. That's, That's healthy and that's maturity. We do this because it's the right thing to do. But friends, even when that won't get us there, we need some motivation. What was Paul's motivation? Well, I notice he points to the resurrection. He says, because I'm willing to suffer in this life because I know that this isn't the only life. Since we have, verse 13, the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's keeping eternity's values in view. I think there is a song that goes something like that. Eternity's values in view. What really matters is the life to come. And if there is a, ever we can point to one thing of the struggle of the church today, it's because we've got our eyes on this life and we pay no attention to the next. You know, I've used the illustration of the hotel room. You don't change out the carpet and buy new furniture because it's not your home. Friends, we have got to live this life with the knowledge that this is not the life we're living for. There is a life that will last forever. Eternal life that begins now finds its ultimate fulfillment in the presence of God. That's the life we ought to be living in light of. So Paul talks about a future resurrection. And even in this conversation, he uses words like us and we. We also believe. So we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord will raise us also. Jesus, Paul isn't just thinking about himself. He's talking about the people that will be there as well. And so his focus is on the ultimate end, this resurrection when he will see God face to face. And an earthly impact that reaches heaven. His mind is is on the future, the earthly impact he would make that reaches up to heaven. Look at verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, is God uses even my suffering to impact people's lives. <laughs> to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You know, that word thanksgiving shows up a lot in the Scripture. It would be nice if it showed up more in my life and maybe yours. Apparently, thanksgiving is a big thing to God. 
And the impact that he makes in our life ought to result in thanksgiving to God leading to glory to God. And so Paul's motivation, he says, this life isn't the end. So I die here, I live there. We're really clear in his mind why all of the suffering that he endured would be worth it. Future resurrection, earthly impact that reaches heaven and that future glory. Verse 16, and there it is. So we do not lose heart. We don't burn out. We don't get all frustrated and say, that's it, we're done. Though our outer self is wasting away. And ben Paul isn't saying, you know, he's just getting old. <laughs> he's talking about all of the beatings that he has endured, the shipwrecks and the, 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 the times with the rod and all of this suffering that he has endured. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And there's the kick right there. Don't miss this, friends. Why is it that Paul did not lose heart? It wasn't because he was just doing the right thing. <laughs> he could do the right thing and be burned out, friends. It was because in doing these things and staying connected to God, he was being renewed day by day. He was tethered to the Spirit of God. He went where the Spirit of God told him to go, and he stayed when the Spirit of God told him to stay. And the Spirit of God renewed him every single day. Renewed. We don't lose heart. Even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, <laughs> get the humor in this, for this, this light momentary affliction, <laughs> that's Paul's perspective, friends. If you knew that as following Christ that people would arrest you and beat you and try and kill you, you would probably not refer to that as a light affliction. You know, how about people not favoring Christianity? Oh, woe unto us. So we've lost favor, friends. That's not affliction. That's not abuse. That just gives us a better opportunity to shine. The darker it gets, the brighter the light, friends. And no, I'm not going to say anything about that thousand lumen flashlight either, okay? For this light, <laughs> this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul says it's going to be worth it. It will absolutely be worth it. There is no such thing as disappointment in heaven. Whatever it is you do for God, it will be worth it. Whatever it is, it costs you in working for God and serving Him. Whatever your ministry costs you, it will be worth it. Paul says, this light affliction. <laughs> but he says, for this light momentary affliction, even talks about the time of it. In light of eternity, a whole life of suffering is nothing compared to eternity with God. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comp comparison. As we look not into the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that we have read about and the only pictures we have are the ones in our minds. 
He's talking about glory, friends. He's talking about eternity with God. For the things that are transient, the things that are seen are transient. They will pass away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. How did he do it? How did Paul endure all of this and call it a light momentary affliction? Because he had his eyes in the right place. And he was always doing it for the right reason. Because, friends, if it's not done line up, something's going to fall apart. How do we wrap it up? Let's call it a sermon in a sentence. I've read it before. Let's read it again. Success is not only defined by what we do, but how we do it. How we do it. It is the how to the what. We know what the why is for the glory of God, but how do we do it? We do it focused on Him, not on ourselves. In ministry, let's remember some truths here. In ministry, the ends never justify the means. The ends never justify the means. It doesn't matter what you accomplish if you do it in a way that dishonors God. And the manner of our ministry should reflect the love for the ministered. Love ought to be the primary principle, friends. It's what sent Jesus to heaven. It also ought to be what sends you to the lost and to other believers to encourage. The manner of our ministry should reflect love for the ministered. And if your philosophy of ministry does not glorify God, my friends, your ministry can never be blessed by God. Because God blesses what brings glory to Him and builds up His people. He glorifies what, he, he blesses what glorifies Him and builds up His people. Manipulation does not find the blessing of God. When I was a student at the Moody Bible Institute of Chicago, we had reading assignments. Like all the time, lots and lots of books and lots and lots of readings. You know, when you talk to somebody, what are you up to? I'm reading. <laughs> and that was pretty much the conversation at the Moody Bible Institute. And uh, when we had a test, an exam, or a quiz, one of the first questions was, did you do all your reading? What a test. Well, it's easy to circle yes. All right, yes. But the professors would remind us, if you are here to prepare yourself for a ministry and you lie and cheat your way through, how will you possibly expect the blessing of God in such a ministry if that's the way you've prepared for it? It all counts, friends. It all counts.